As a nonprofit organization, we are always looking for ways to support our mission through fundraising. This is one of the reasons we created the Core Leader Community. Here's how it works. For anyone who becomes a subscribing donor on a monthly or yearly basis, they will receive access to our Core Leader Library, which contains 100 plus hours of additional leadership content. This includes all of our virtual conference libraries, including in-depth content about helping individuals overcome pornography or ways to minister to those who are questioning their faith. It's all easy to access through a slick smartphone app, which makes it great for a busy schedule and people on the go. To become a core leader, visit leadingsaints.org today and click the donate button, or you can text the word lead to 474747. Again, click the donate button at leadingsaints.org or text the word lead to 474747. Also, if you're new to Leading Saints, you should know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. To see a full scope of the Leading Saints content, visit leadingsaints.org. Today I'm with uh, Kirk, Kirk Weisler. We're gonna. This is gonna be a tough one, Kirk, because I'm Kurt and you're Kirk. How are you, Kirk? That's gonna be great. I know, and everyone always asks, you, "Is it K or T?" Yeah, right? exactly. And it's Kurt with a T, but you know, you can go a different direction. Kirk. Right. That's fine. <laughs> Yours is the true. That's right. Tell us a little about yourself. Put yourself into context, Kirk, uh, as far as where you live, what do you do, uh, sure. what, what, that sort of thing. Sure. So. I live in Gilbert, Arizona. We've lived here about seven years. Moved here from Georgia. We were out there about nine years. The girl I married, Rebecca, we've been hanging out together for 30 years. Wow. We met both rejected BYU students going to the community college, which from what I understand now is even bigger than <laughs> BYU, uh, U, yeah. U, UVU. Yeah, I was one of those rejects that ended up in Orem as well. So. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> but we were there during the name change, you know, when Carrie Romansburg was there and they were changing, they were going from two year to four year and then all that. But uh-huh. We have six children together, three boys, three girls. I make my living primarily uh, doing uh, coaching, training, leadership, and culture-based team building. I call it culture building training, Uh, usually in-person training. It's been a little slow this last year and a half for in-person training. So I've done something called Zip Zap Zoom, you know, how to build a virtual team, things like that to kind of fill the gap. But being with people, Kurt, is obviously just so much more fun. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and, and would, would that we could, I'd be knee to knee with you in the studio and it would just be so fun uh, right. to hug your neck and I've listened to you so much. So, so that's what I've done. That's what I do. And then I think the context that got you and I connected was my recent service as a, as an LDS bishop. I know you do a lot of, a lot, so much of what you do is benefits leaders as they're trying to work with the different populations and, and challenges they face. And so I think that's how you and I got connected and through some yeah. mutual friends. So, yeah. And, uh, what, what do you remember from that as far as like, starting that experience as bishop i mean is there a story there as far as how you were called or what that experience was like because even though you're this you know guy that goes around coaches and and uh, presents about culture and leadership I, I just feel like church leadership sometimes can be the great equalizer right that just brings everybody to the same ground zero and says all right now you give it a shot you know but no. what do you remember about that learning experience at the beginning yeah okay so at some point so i was i'm 57 now so i was in my early 50s when this happened and I don't know how old you are. You look very young to me. I'm, I turned 40 this year. So, But think about the number of bishops we've been through. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I'm assuming you served an LDS mission. I don't know. But if yep. some, missionaries, some missionaries stay with one mission president, some missionaries had the experience of being with two. 
And so you see these dynamics in leadership and styles and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, our ward culture, we just barely moved from Gilbert, uh, just barely moved to Gilbert, Arizona from Georgia. So we uh, it, we got there during the summer. I mean, we, we were just unpacking when this happened. And so we didn't have any preconceived notion or experience. Our first couple Sundays at church, most people were already gone on vacation because in, in Arizona, people during the summer exit the state. <laughs> Makes they, sense. Yeah. Like a snowbird opposite thing. So I didn't have any idea. I looked at my wife and I thought, well, well, this is interesting. There's a lot of people they could choose from. So we're going to say this came from God. We're going to lean in and have a great experience. And then I had a few people from the state tell me that this particular ward was a little bit of a stepchild to the stake in that there was a little higher turnover, uh, more of a kind of a starter homes. There's going to be more needs. You know, it was just that that type of scenario. And, and I said, oh, okay, well, I didn't know what that meant. And so, but I was, ex- like any bishop, I was excited. And like any bishop, well, I think, I think, I don't know what any bishop does, but I, I know what I do that. I'm going to be the best, you know, I'm going to yeah. be the best. I'm going to, we're going to break go, records. I'm, yeah. You know, my job allows me to, I'm going to go over in the morning. I'm just going to read that handbook a couple of times this first couple of weeks. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be right. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, and then you get on, your, then you leave the MTC and you hit the mission, right? Right. Like, right. Oh, this is how this is going to go. Yeah. Does that yeah. sound familiar? You, you yeah, sure yeah, for right? sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to make the state president so proud, you know? <laughs> yeah, for the sure. Lord can trust me. <laughs> Love that. Love that. And then uh, how long did you serve as, as a bishop? Five years. Five, Five years. years. Nice. So pretty, pretty typical for Arizona, right? I think, I don't know. I, I, I think, <laughs> think so. Yeah, it um, sounds about there right. Was, there was threats from the state president that I, that my call would be extended and shortened. So there was moments yeah. when, there was moments when, you know, he said, you know, I did call you to be the bishop, but I, I never thought you would do that. Or And, and there, there was, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Okay, cool. But, uh, cool. But he still loved me and I still, I still love him. Yeah. So let's just go to the basics as far as culture is concerned, you know, through the, through the lens of your experience as a bishop, but also as uh, you know, a speaker and consultant and coach, like we hear this term culture a lot and sometimes it's just, it can feel more like a buzzword. I mean, yeah. I think generally people understand what we're saying about culture and, and there's, you know, these phrases that you hear a lot in our religious community. Oh, that's not doctrine. That's culture. And, right. you know, but it's really hard to sit down with the concept of culture as a leader and say, okay, now we're going to do A, B, and C. So where do we begin to even understand what culture is or how we can start on this path of implementing a, a positive culture in a ward? Okay. Have you interviewed the guy that does the website, The Art of Manliness? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Brett McKay. Yes. So yeah, he Brett wrote an article called The Fathering with Intentionality. It's, it's my go-to short piece that I use with my corporations when I'm doing culture work. Because it's a seven-minute read that gives you a good concept. But but I drafted a little something for our interview today, thinking you might ask this question. Oh, cool. So here's what I wrote. Like families, every water branch or stake has its own unique culture. That feeling that's made up of our collective beliefs and attitudes and energy of the members and the stories that they tell themselves and others about themselves and others and about how the ward is and how the bishop is and how the young men's program is, right? You as a bishop saw people come in. They were, they were kind of surfing your ward. Right. They were like, right, I can move anywhere in this community. I'm just kind of they were ward hopping, looking for that fit. Right. Yeah, like yeah. Baptist, when they moved to a new city, we, we go to church by zip code, but Baptists go to church by preacher. They go, well, I'm just looking for the preacher that kind of fits my. Right. right. Yep. So while everyone contributes to the culture, leaders can play this key role in shifting and shaping that culture. And they will do this intentionally, as Brett writes, or they'll do it unintentionally. Either way, you and I are going to shape that culture. 
So my question for you, Kurt, is have there been times in your church, think about, think about times in your church where you visited another ward and experienced something about that other ward that you're like, whoa, that's, that's cool. I mean, or that's remarkable or man, I wish our ward did that, or I'm going to do that when I'm a bishop someday. Can you think of any oh, yeah. specific things that you saw? Oh, Just a specific thing. Um, I'll give you one. To, I'll okay. Yeah. Help me out here. <laughs> It'll so, go. Haven't you gone to, haven't, haven't we all gone to a ward and go, man, these deacons in the sacrament, that's tight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they were crisp. Like that would have taken us 15 more minutes. The, how'd they do that in 15 minutes? Right. Like, uh-huh. whoa, those guys, right. Or you go to this ward and there's this buzz. There's just this, I mean, it's much, we're not reverent, but it's, it's, there's a good feeling and there's all this buzz. And then the Bishop Rick stands and it just goes, boom, like, whoa, this got quiet. Or going to a singles ward where there is no children and going, it's a little bit too quiet. I'm right. Yeah. But we go to these wards and we have these experiences and those experiences are the, are part of that ward's culture. And sometimes we're like, whoa, that's cool. And sometimes we're like, oh, I kind of miss my ward kind of a thing. Yeah. But we all belong to the same faith. We all have the same doctrine. So I've imagined, the, I, I, I've often imagined this dream calling in the church, which is that, Brother Kirk Weisler, you've been called to serve as a best practice gatherer. Your assignment is to visit wards each Sunday and just gather best practices Right. I love and it. Just, right. Just just go to four, three or four words every Sunday and just cherry pick the very best. Right. And uh, because we all have the same handbook of instructions, we all have our unique strengths. But I think one of the unique strengths of our lay clergy is that our unique strengths then are interpreted by our worldview, by organization, our meetings and mingled with revelation. We seek to act out the very best of what we understand from the church handbook and how a ward should be run and what our state president's guidance is to have our ward meeting and our word organization, I mean, we're all just doing our best, but we're all doing it with our own individual flavor. We're not clones. We're very unique children of God. So yeah. all that goes into shaping and shifting this culture. So now here we are at the culture and everyone is different, but we're highly influenced by what people are willing to say out loud. <laughs> right? Isn't that right? true? Yeah. yeah. Right. The number of people that approached you and said, you know, and they weren't ditching the other bishop. They were just, they just liked like some of us liked one mission president more than we, we loved both of our mission presidents, but we liked one more. There was something yeah. about that yeah. that just seemed to work with us better. Does that make sense? Yeah. If we had our pick, we would probably pick one over the other, right? <laughs> so one of the first things I noticed about our ward was there was a lot of enthusiasm. There was a lot of young families with a lot of enthusiasm. We'd come to this place in the gospel where we, we've been asked to kind of tone down the number of meetings we had and to kind of mm-hmm. pull back a little bit so that we did, families didn't feel so obligated to go do things. Some stakes were discouraging linger longers and any unnecessary event. Right. Well, the vibe I got was these people want to connect. This is a group that wants to connect and not on social media alone. They want to be together. But four wards were sharing the building. Mm. So only on the years that we met last could we pull off something called a linger longer. Now, there was an open discouragement from our state president to not do a linger longer. But it just felt like we need to do something. So we didn't call it linger longer because we thought we could skirt that guidance, if you will. <laughs> and the other thing was make it as simple as possible. So we had we had a, a bread themed linger longer. So we just said, let's bring as much fresh cooked bread as we can. We had three big, the big circle tables of bread. Uh-huh. And we had a scripture on each table. Like there's, um, there's so many great, you know, give us this day our daily bread. The Savior was tempted with bread, you know, but man should not live by bread alone. So we had a theme for each table, and this was just bread and honey. This was bread and jam, and this was bread and butter. 
That's all it was. Uh-huh. Very simple, very low maintenance. Again, because we want to keep things simple. Oh my gosh, this thing was just a blow up hit. Now it was a blow up hit in a couple ways. One, it was easy. It was, there was no setup, almost no takedown. People stayed for it, right? And then the ward was so responsive to it. I mean, they just stayed and they stayed and they stayed as opposed to, okay, well, this obligatory, we got to kind of do a social appearance, but we're out of here kind of a thing, which we've all experienced. It was just different. And so then, well, that was a cool thing that the bishopric did. Oh, okay. Well, just that statement that someone would say that out loud, all of a sudden made us, we hadn't changed, but we were a better bishopric. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The stories matter. Stories just shape people's viewpoint. So that would be an example. Another example of what I thought is the lowest hanging fruit in any ward is the elders quorum culture. And I don't know how it is today. So I'm, I'm, I'm dating my, but you know, go back in time to that elders quorum where we've been there. Right? Okay. So <laughs> it's um, tough. It's tough. Right? Okay. So there's a guy named Randall Kempton and Randall, if you listen to this, I hope that you know that you've influenced my life forever. So Randall Kempton. So we were in Lake Ridge Stake in Orem, Utah, newly married. My wife's 18. She's like, why am I in Relief Society with all these women that are, right? She's like, there's no place for an 18-year-old newly married in this family ward of, this was not a student ward. She was like, okay, but we're faithful. We're going. The elders quorum met in the basement of one of these old churches on, on these metal chairs from 1965. We're down this dingy, right? And we've all, haven't we all been to this place? Yeah. And we're down there. We get a new... I go down there and I'm like, oh, this is awful. Thankfully, I got called to be the young men's president. And I did that for about a year. But then the bishop, Bishop King, called a new elders quorum president. He called Randall Kempton. And now I'm sitting with Bishop King and he goes, hey, president. And I love being young men's president because I felt like I wasn't being successful, but I thought I was. I I didn't. I know now that I wasn't. But then I thought, hey, this is easy. So I know now it was I was a disaster. (laughs) We've all been there as well. Okay, so 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 he says, so President Kempton is our new elders quorum president. I'm like, why are you telling me this? And he goes, and he's been praying and fasting. Oh, okay. Well, I, I've done that too. And he, he submitted your name to be one of his counselors. And he said, I know you're thinking, but you're the young men's president. And I just thought I'd give you the opportunity to pray about it because I, I'm not prone to release you, but I wanted you to have the opportunity to seek revelation. And then Kurt, this awful thing happened, right? I knew in that very moment that I was supposed to be this guy's counselor. Now, yeah. this is not a negative about, this is not what I'm about to say next is much more reflective of me and where I was at and my immaturity at that time than it is of Randall Kempton. But I knew who Randall Kempton was. And Randall Kempton is a very soft spoken. I'm a ranger. I'm an ex ranger. I'm an outspoken. I'm a, you know, yeah. we would never go bowling together. There's just nothing about us. There's just, I love him as a brother. He loves me, but I'm like, what, what, what now attendance at Ellis Corman had averaged five on a good Sunday, seven, in a year, maybe the past seven years. I don't know how long. Yeah. That first Sunday with Randall Kempton in that basement. And by the way, the other counselor he called was a guy that was, he was an odd dude, right? Probably like I was an odd dude to him. <laughs> and then the, the secretary was a guy that couldn't have been four and a half feet tall. I mean, we were just a collective of the odd couple times too. Uh-huh. It was just, what? why am I a part of this team? That was what I was, that's, I mean, I'm, 20, I'm 27. I'm so immature. I'm so sorry. This is true. All this is true. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm 29 at this time. So it's so embarrassing, but this is where I was at mentally. I'm just being very candid here. So president Kevin sits down he says, here's what I, I hope we can do together. He said, I hope we can create a, a great elders quorum culture and community. 
And I'm like, yeah, okay. Opening speech, high hopes. He said, here's what I think we'll do. He said, if we can just go out one night a week for two hours, if we can all just, can you commit to two hours, one night a week and two hours on Sunday and we'll just go visit people in the quorum. Okay. Right. Success was two hours on one night a week and two hours on Sunday. That was success. Now I know I'm doing my calling, which is a great thing in many callings. You don't know what you're, if you're being successful, but success was if we went out for two hours and visited people. And then on Sundays, here's what he did. Those seven guys came in the basement and Randall Kempton said, so tell us a little bit about yourself. And everyone introduced himself and he would have two or three questions we would all answer. And every Sunday he did it again. And wow. six months later, there was 35 guys in that basement. And by the end of the year, we didn't fit in the basement anymore. And this quiet, beautiful man impacted the culture of that quorum and made it a quorum in a way that I had never seen before in my life, never experienced before. And create a possibility in my mind about what I knew was possible with an Ellis quorum. And it wasn't some big thing. He, he just loved them and said, who are you? And so they felt known and they got to know each other. And every Sunday, he just did it again and again and again and again. And it didn't matter if it was a three-minute lesson or seven minutes left. Randall Kempton changed that ward culture. And he did it with love and visits. So... Now, I bring that story. That story is now a part of my life. I bring that with me to my calling as a bishop. And my belief is if we just get to know each other, right, a little bit more than this passing brother and sister, hi, Kurt Frank, I'm Kurt Boy. Yeah, if, we just, if we can dig into that a little bit like President Kempton did, that we can make a difference. And I thought, man, the low-hanging fruit is always in the elders' corn. Yeah. And so true? we started there. And I just shared the story of President Kempton and suggested it as a model. And this beautiful man that was the Elder's Corn president, he got it and he got it quick and he got it good. And, and soon that began to, not only that, so he felt like the lowest hanging fruit in the corn was move-ins because we had, we had about 30% turnover in a 600 person ward. Yeah. We got a couple of months. And you're talking about the Elder's Corn president when you were a bishop, right? Yeah. Okay. So I explained to him my vision and he shared that vision and expanded it. And then as we counseled together, the low hanging fruit was move-ins. Move-ins were the greatest opportunity to gather the quorum together. So we decided let's redefine move-ins. They're not about moving stuff. They're about connecting men. And I kid you not, Kurt, and I say this with, I hope, humble pride. Our move-ins went from five and six guys, 25, 30 guys. <laughs> Okay. And, it, and it, it was never about the stuff. It was always about the brotherhood and just that camaraderie of talking and handing things and shedding up chains and just that whole thing. It just, and that, if you get five or six guys that are kind of on the fence about whether they're going to commit to the ward or whether they're going to be engaged or not, and they feel that sense of brotherhood, it's the camaraderie of soldiers almost, right? Yeah. And that becomes a dynamic force for change. And all of a sudden we're not, no one's moaning about a move in. And I think one of the, I think God gave us a gift in the very beginning. I got a call. Someone had got held up on the highway. And so this guy said, I'm showing up. I was hoping some guys could show up maybe Monday and help me. And I go, when are you showing up? In about 40 minutes. So we just took the elders quorum and said, right, let's, let's go unload this guy's truck for priesthood. The family was blown away. So now what is this family saying about the ward? Very positive things. He's like, who's he telling? This unbelievable thing happened. Who's his wife telling? What's her testimony like in Relief Society present? So she just thinks the most incredible thing. So that I think here's the premise. If I get, if you're if 
if you're listeners, the principle I would call it giving people a story to tell, right? Everyone's going to tell a story about their first interaction with your mm-hmm. board. Everyone's going to tell a story. And you're going to influence that story by that impression you make. And that move-in became the ward council talked about, this is our chance. Because if we can convert them on the move-in, if they start telling the story that this is the most incredible ward they've ever experienced because of their first experience, they're going to forgive seven experiences that are less than stellar. Yeah. Because they've already declared their belief that the ward is this. Does that make sense? Belief, strive, behavior. So those are a couple of specific examples of things that we did very intentionally to try to influence and create a more positive culture. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and I love the principle. And how did you frame it to uh, give people a story give to tell? Give people a story to tell. In other words, okay. Yeah. Kurt, you and I both know we, we interact with anyone, right? They're going to walk away. They're going to tell a story about that interaction. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah, whatever. Or it's going to be drama. It's going to be a love story. It's going to be a murder mystery. Hopefully not a murder <laughs> mystery, but, but it's going to be, they're going to tell a story. And we leaders, we can influence that story by the way we interact and how we show up. And so, I think those things really help set the table for this is going to be different. This bishopric is going to be different. This bishop's going to approach things differently. Moves are different. Our elders quorum is different. And so people got excited about that because it wasn't just different, different. It was different. In their view, it was different, better. Yeah. Because they felt more known and loved. Yeah. So let me interject, ask you, you know, around this principle of giving people a story to tell, like, how do you go from maybe sitting in a ward council meeting and recognizing, oh, moves are the low-hanging fruit to 35 people showing up. To, I mean, this is... Okay. <laughs> many elders quorum presidents are leaning in right now. So, like, what does okay. it look like as far as unpacking that principle and applying it? Okay. No, you, no, I'm so glad you asked this question because when you're telling a story, it just sounds like we went from five to 30. Yeah. That's, that's not what happened. It's like the movie montage. It's just okay. like a few yeah, scenes no, no. and there it okay, is. Okay, <laughs> so let me, let me back up. So the Randall Kempton story, if we're going to... Un- in Kurt's phrase, we're going to unpack it. And thank yeah. you so much. We're going to pack it. So here's Randall Kempton. Here's his counselors, right? And so now we, and the secretary, and we kneel and pray on Wednesday night. We have a little 15 minute, 20 minute, and we all have three or four families on our go visit list. And we're not there to save them. We're not there to do anything except say hi. We're not there to reactivate. We're just there to investigate, if you will. Hey, hi, introduce and say hi and make connections. That was that. Our mission was just get in the door and express love. That was our mission. And so we all went out with our three or four families. Now look what was happening here. President Kempton gave us a way to feel successful, whereas a lot of elders quorum counselors don't feel successful. The president goes to correlation, sends them when they're sick, or they just can't handle another correlation meeting, right? So right. So I'm, 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 I'm as engaged as my president allows me or informs me to be, but now we're all equally engaged in our view. And success looks like going out and visiting these three or four families. And now I've magnified my calling. My president's happy with me. I'm actually doing something with my calling that's measurable. It feels good. I'm going with this guy that I don't really know, but I'm starting to fall in love with him because as odd as he is, he likes me back. And I don't understand that, but here we are. And now you knock on this door and nobody answers, but someone at the X door opens themselves up. They go, hey, I know you. And all of a sudden now you're in a door that you didn't plan to be in. But as you walk out that door, you know that God puts you in that door because something happened in there that you didn't expect, that you didn't even plan for, that you're not worthy of, but it did. And it was amazing. And you're like, it's this miracle. And you're like, whoa. And then you come back as a president. So you're like, we said the best experience with Davidson's. And And then the president kept us like, yeah, well, that's great. That's fantastic. What what do you think we should do next? And all of a sudden, right? Yeah. But it wasn't wasn't planned, but it came because there was a plan, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right? Right? Not because there was faith, but because there was action that allowed the faith to move. 
right? And so there you are. Now that guy, he felt the excitement too. He's much more likely to come and hang out in the basement. That's not why you went. I mean, kind of as it, but you didn't ask him. You didn't ask him to come hang in the basement. You just invited him. Hey, we meet in the basement. Mm -hmm. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. You know, we're going to be there. So that's part of it. So now that's happening and it's happening Wednesday night. And maybe of the, of the eight homes we have identified or nine, whatever it was, maybe we got into two or three doors. If one or two of those decides to come on Sunday, five becomes seven, right? Seven becomes nine, nine becomes 11. And at that point, now you've got momentum. You've got some of these people that are on the fringe or usually hang with people that are on the fringe. Now they're going on Sunday and staying for the second hour, the third hour. That's different. So now there are other people on the fringe. Now it's increasing. Does that make sense? Now two at a time becomes four at a time. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Okay. Second thing that's happening in the quorum itself. So that's what's happening outside of the quorum, but in the quorum, instead of sitting there and going, oh, we ask uh, Kurt Frankham uh, to do the lesson day. And Kurt's like, oh, 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 yeah, that's right. Oh, no problem, guys. And he's opening his manual like it's a movie, right? Like it's the voice of whatever that movie is. Right, right. Instead, he's not doing that. He goes, hey, before we dive into a lesson today, let's see who's here. Let's check in with each other. And no matter how long it takes, everyone says their name, what they're focused in school, what they do professionally, and some question, off-the-wall question about what's the coolest church experience, you, whatever it is. It's something positive, and everyone speaks to it. And so we all, we all know a little bit more about each other. So we're growing together. We're learning from each other. We're learning with each other. We're learning about each other. That's culture. Mm-hmm. And it's framed in positive context. And then we have the additional benefit of having priesthood keys and our old school president and We've got the Holy Ghost, which is the magnifier of all good things. So President Kemp has invited the spirit. He's invited us to love each other and to learn about each other and to learn to love each other. And this begins to increase exponentially. And all of a sudden, I say all of a sudden, you know, four to six months, when you have a very different culture, it's all of a sudden. Yeah. And I love that. It's almost like... uh... You added a little structure. It wasn't that this structure was revealed no. by heaven by any means. It was like, hey, let's go do visits or let's just sit, check in with people on Sunday and let's try that out. And then I'm sure there's sort of this regroup and adjustments. And then you try it again and you figure out what works. And over time, you're again, but you're focused on how can we give people a story to tell, right? Yeah. That, it, that, that can it, just it, stimulate it, so much revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt, it didn't seem like Randall Kempton said, okay, I'm going to do this little introduction thing until we get 35 people. Then we're going to stop and just go old school. <laughs> right. It seemed like he, he knew the most important thing was that we felt known and loved. And at some point, again, he's just smarter than me in every way. At some point, he also must have saw that, you know what? He could love and know everybody, but one to many is not as powerful as many to each other. And so... He was facilitating the thing that he did with us, with them, yeah. with them. And that was the model that I tried to, to copy and replicate in my journey as a bishop. Let me give you another example. So there was a sister, Janessa Clare, and um, her husband would eventually become one of my counselors. But Janessa is a dance instructor and she runs a dance studio and she's busy. Uh, but it just felt like she should, and she's like six feet tall, but it just felt like she would be a good primary president. And um, so one night after interviews, you know, you remember the nights as a bishop, you're the last one there. So you're, you're going to go turn off the light, check the building. Yep, been there. You're going down the hall and there's all this laughter coming down the hall. And it sounds like there's a bunch of teenage girls having a sleepover in there. And it's Janessa Clare and her new counselors, right? Putting together the primary books for all their teachers for the next year. But it looks, sounds, and feels like a slumber party. 
is these grown women are in there with all this stuff scattered on the floor with all these little three ring binders and doing all their stuff. And I looked in there and I thought, look at what she's doing. And it wasn't accidental. She was very intentionally creating a moment. They were having a shared experience. They were all going to go home feeling all this warmth and this love for each other because it was, they weren't putting together books. They were putting together the team. This was the foundation of their culture. And three or four months into it, the primary was just this machine, this machine of love. You just, everyone wanted to be in the primary. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be in the primary, which segues to another thing on my list of things to talk about, but I don't know if you want to transition. Yeah. yeah well, let me, and I love that example because it'd be easy almost to ask those sisters, you know, what, what made your primary work so well? And maybe someone said, well, we'd had these great binders, but it, it wasn't the binders. It was the process of, you know, putting, getting together, okay. putting these binders together. Right? Kurt. Every one of your listeners, okay, ask this question. Have you ever seen two machines come into your ward house and you thought, yeah, you knew they were struggling, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. Yep. They weren't getting along or whatever, you, right? And then contrast that. Have you ever seen a couple of missionaries that you just thought, these guys are in the zone? Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with the presidency. Most people look at the Elderscorn presidency, they don't see any connection there. They see four guys that are doing their calling. Mm-hmm. But when you see a presidency where they love each other, it's a very different thing. Okay. Primary teachers, when you see a, a united primary presidency, these sisters aren't just doing their calling. They love each other genuinely and they love their kids. That's a very different thing. And it was that thing that we were after as a bishopric. We were looking for leaders that could create that thing. And we were coaching leaders if they didn't have that natural skill set, how to create that thing. That Because now when you see those two missionaries come in and you see they're together, they're the ones you trust with your friends. They're the ones you trust with your time. They're the ones you trust with everything. And so that was a yeah. very important focus for us. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to pivot back and ask you about is you talk about, as you were called as bishop, you sort of saw that the, you took a pulse of the ward. Like these are young, energetic families and couples. And, you know, this is sort of the direction we need to, need to go in. And is there anything as far as like, was there any process there to sort of, is it just simple observation of your ward and what you saw or did those uh, things no, come I, out of, of I think board council or whatnot? It, How know, did that it, come about? It's naivety. It's it just being naive. Um, <laughs> okay. My wife says I'm, I probably err on being too quick to believe in people. You know, I just want to, I just want to see strengths and goodness. Uh-huh. And she's worried sometimes that I don't see, Hey, there's a problem. And I go, well, no, I, I see that. I just don't want to give it any focus. Mm. There's some balance there that I that I'm always working on, but having a high belief in people and their potential is, I mean, we're all broken, right? So so yeah, they so what they yeah so what they can't do this or they've got that. What can they do and what are they, what are they willing to do and what has no one ever asked them to do that they would say yes to if if someone believed in them enough to ask those kind of my thinking was kind of there. So I don't know there was a process I went through. There was no formal evaluation. I didn't do an assessment. I just thought. These are phenomenal, you know, I was just a naive young bishop going, they're all, they're fantastic. This is going to be a great war. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't, that, that makes sense. No more depth than that. Kurt. Cool. All right. Uh, what's the, you had another story come to mind that you're transitioning to. I was thinking about callings and I think there's been a lot of, I don't know if evolution is the right word. I think there's been a lot of growth. There's been a lot of growth in the church in this area. I think there was a time when, when the bishop extended you a calling if you said no to the bishop, you were saying no to God, you know, <laughs> right. right? And, and so the, all of this guilt and shame, like, and, and then there's members that had pride. I've never turned down a calling. Well, well okay. And I, there's virtue in all that. But I just think I wish somebody would ask me, hey, 
Kurt, do you have a dream calling? If so, what would it be? And I'm really kind of influenced by the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, the Strengths Finder books, you know, all that stuff that we've done. You know, we, we do all these personality assessments, but now they talk about, hey, focus on your strengths. The weaknesses you're always going to have with you, like the poor. It's always going to be with you, right? But what are people's strengths? Where can they, what are their gifts? And if I knew my gifts, and a bishop is supposed to know the gifts in the word, if I knew my gifts and I could put those gifts where they could swing for the fence, where would, where would that be? And what would your dream calling be became a question that we ask as a bishopric, you know, hey, listen, we're a big ward. We have a lot of turnover. So there's a good chance here that you could have your dream calling. If you could have your dream calling. Now, here's the cool thing about this question. Most likely, Kurt, they've never been asked any form of it in this scenario. So it's already, what? As opposed to them bracing for, I hope I don't get called to be yeah. in the nursery again. Right? This is a totally different paradigm for most people. So if you could have a, your dream calling, what would it be? And they would say, well, I, I'd really like, or I've always felt, you could talk about callings they've had in the past, things like that. But where, if you could, we're not here to dish out callings because we, we're desperate for someone, right? In the, in the church of today, in, in our ward, you're going to be lucky if you get a calling, was our context, because we just have too many people that are too active. We just don't have enough to go around. But if we put you in the queue and something comes available, what would you like? Does that make sense? Yeah. So as opposed to being desperate, and I understand some branches and stuff, they're like, we just need someone with a pulse. So I get that, but I'm just telling you the context we were at. That question, the changing of that question, and the answers that we got, and what we were able to do with that, I thought was a, a gift to everyone in the ward and the ward itself. I just thought. Yeah. Because then people feel like, not that it's a request line, and not that we're, we're not discounting revelation, Right. And we should seek that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's a place there for us to have this discussion and be blessed by it. And I think just that the exercise of asking that question is you learn, you know, one, you learn a lot about them and it can stimulate deeper revelation, just like, you know, President Eyring says information leads to inspiration. And with that information, and you're looking for a Sunday school teacher, suddenly your mind goes to, hey, I remember Brother Smith said that he really enjoys teaching. Like, Let's put that in the in the circle of revelation and see, yeah. where, where, see where that leads us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What's next as far as uh, we've talked about giving people a story to tell and, you know, callings and whatnot. What, uh, what else can we talk about as far as stimulating positive culture in a ward? I think that, did this happen to you? So the first week you're the bishop, the first two weeks, there was the, the valiant confessors, right? They've been working with bishops for their whole church, right? So, yeah. and they they genuinely want you to know, hey, this is my regular sin. This is my, right? And, I, yeah. I just, um, and they're kind of hoping you might be the bishop that can give them that thing to get them past that masturbation issue or that pornography, whatever it might be, yeah. right? But they've been struggling with this thing, this ball and chain for years. And, and so they're right there. Maybe on, on your first Sunday, they want to meet with you right away. This is their deal. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Absolutely, and, and you immediately fall in love with them. And part of you, the, the vain part of me, wants to go. I want to. I want to be that bishop that helps you, you know, slay this dragon. I really do. And that's probably you know a little bit of the, the namingism in me that you know I want to be a hero or something. But as you learn to listen, there's a lot of things you can recontext that doesn't have to be, you know, this magic solution, this magic talk, you know. And we can get away from some of the prescriptions. I remember, you know, growing up, some of the prescriptions were, okay, well, don't take the sacrament for this many weeks. Read three general conference talks a day. You know, just whatever these magic prescriptions were and just really listen to people and begin to kind of feel where they're coming from. And, and sometimes if you can just eliminate some of the shame 
And uh, here's an example. I'm talking to this brother about something and, and there was a, you know, there was a mistake. There was a mess up and man, it was just this thing and the weight of the world and all the years. And I said, well, hold on a second. I feel like the spirit kind of helped me with this in a big way. I said, so we're talking about three to five minutes here. Tell me about the rest of the week. Tell me about the previous weeks. And that kind of led to this idea that you and I are not our worst three minutes of the day. Hmm. We're not our worst four hours of the week, right? Who are you most of the time? Can we talk about that for a second? Because you're a pretty good guy. And that changes the discussion a little bit. Now we can still work on this, but it, it's not everything. It's just this one little thing. Because most of the time, most of the time you show up, most of the time and uh, you're tender with people and your wife and your, that's who you are. And then you got this thing. You got a little bit of leprosy, but most of the time, right? You're a touchable, lovable son of God and it has all this capacity and potential and, and goodness and the way that you serve and the way that you lift and the way that you, right? Don't let this three or four minutes stop you from seeing the rest or stop everyone else from seeing the rest because you withdraw. And just changing that dialogue. One of the phrases we introduced was that we're all broken. You know, the givens, I like their word better, that we're all wounded, the, our, our awful woundedness. But it can recontext this thing from judgment to compassion. We're all broken. We're all wounded. We all, right? We all sit differently. And I think changing that discussion was a big part. Sometimes we would have this thing where we'd start the sacrament and say, if we could imagine before we take the sacrament today, we'd have this little two-minute message. And it would just be an invitation to take a breath because we're all, we all kind of crushed in there. We're all, some of us are still corralling our kids. We're walking in late, whatever. We're just, instead of just you know, doing the program and just jumping to that hymn, I would stand and say something like, so glad you're here. You know, before we play our hymn and sing this song of praise, which is supposed to be a prayer unto God, can we just context why we're here again? Can we just all take a deep breath and exhale? And when we exhale, can we leave behind all of our anxieties and all of our insecurities and all of our brokenness and just go, wait a minute, we have a chance here to have a moment with Christ and begin again. And to really believe that promise, like, like our lives depended on it, because our peace certainly does. And just taking that moment, I mean, that's less than 90 seconds, inviting people to exhale and just try to be as present as they can for the sacrament can help people shift. And so I think one of the big things that helped us, helped on our journey of intentionally shifting culture was just shifting some of the, the traditions and the rituals that are, a, they're a beautiful part of our culture, but they're not our doctrine. Our doctrines in Mormon 6, or Moroni 6, where it says, hey, and, and their readings were conducted after the manner of the workings of the spirit, whether they were, they were led to pray or to exhort or to teach or expound, right? But we have a program that we follow. And we should. We need guidance because we're all in a state of apostasy, right? We're all falling away all the time. So we need that. But the Spirit will help us help more people if we'll give it more space. And that doesn't mean more time. It just means don't be afraid to stand up there for a minute and just in invite everyone to take a breath. Yeah. And be present. Let's not get through the sacrament. Let's get something from it. And if we can do that, then this Sunday was a win. Yeah. This Sunday was a win. You know, and I'm picking... We all need to win. I'm picking up on a on a theme here about related to culture that I hadn't considered before that I'm learning from these experiences that you're sharing is that, you know, naturally culture, whether it's negative or positive culture, it has this momentum about it. Like it, it's always wanting to speed up. And yeah. if it's that's negative culture, well, that'll that'll speed up, right? 
and like you talk about that momentum that uh, President Kempton got, like it started to speed up, you know, it got yeah. some momentum. And so in order to grab the reins of culture, we have to almost create that space and slow everything down in a moment, mm. right? Mm. And so that's what President Kempton did. He saw that elders quorum. He's like, let's just slow down a minute yes. and say, hey, tell me about you. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, and then you? you talk about the, um, you know, the sacrament, you know, we, we show up to church and there's this, this tradition, we know what's coming and it speeds up, speeds up all of a sudden the two hours is over and we go home. Right. But as the leader, you stood up and said, no, we're going to slow down a minute and we're going to create space for just take a breath perspective and to take a breath. And then that allowed just that community to grab a hold of the reins of culture and say, okay, here we go. What, what, what stories you know, what stories can we give people about this community? And it's all in that slowing down and giving time to grab the reins of, of yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. I love how you said that. Yeah. Making some space, making some time. Yeah. I think, you know, occasionally, you know, we're really lucky and we have a general authority or an apostle visit our stake or our region. Mm-hmm. And they might share something, but oftentimes in those leadership circles, they're just, hey, they're just, there's this very conversational thing. And they're not trying to get through six points. They're not. They're finding a topic or a place where there's a need, and then they spend as much time there as is needful. They're not in a hurry. To your point, they right slow is fast, yeah. right? Because now this, if this sinks in, where six things fly over, if this <laughs> one sinks in, that's a win. If we all go home from sacrament today, having felt the peace and presence of Christ, that's a win. Yeah. If we all go home kind of flurried and going, oh well, got man, survived that. Well, that's less of a win. You showed up and you were obedient, but we want to have an experience that. that so we, we would say, imagine a Sunday where you didn't have any. Imagine if we could have no insecurities, if no one here was thinking about what anyone else was thinking about them, because they're probably not anyway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Imagine no one's thinking about that. No one's, none of you are worried about your appearance. None of you are worried about that you drank something last night or viewed something yesterday. No one's worried. We're just here to have an experience with the Savior Jesus Christ. And we have a promise that we can. And we might think, yeah, but I did this, so he was not going to talk to me. But if we could lay aside even that thinking, because this Christ loves us so much, right? He didn't turn away this woman who was caught in the very act, right? And she didn't even choose to be there. She was thrown there. He had time for her. He showed up for her. So even in all your brokenness, here you are, right? Here you are. So if we could just lay all that aside and just have this moment, because this might be our moment this week. I promise you in the name of Jesus Christ, we can have this moment. Not because yeah. I said so, because he did. Yeah. He did, right? And so, boom, that right there just changes people's frame of mind, invites an openness. And now they're like, wow. And if they have that moment and they go home, they're going to tell someone about that moment. And when they tell that moment, when they recreate that moment and relive that moment, it reinforces the moment, reminds them they had the moment, and makes the moment more possible and plausible and predictable for the future moments. They come expecting and hoping for another moment. Yeah. And you've really won so much there with that. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it really is in those moments of, uh, that they're craving, right? And then mm-hmm. in those moments, that, that's where they find Jesus Christ and his gospel and the change happens there, right? Yeah. Brushing up against, <laughs> yeah. we want to embrace it, but sometimes we just brush up against it. Um, so you have a, uh, a story here about Nerf guns. I, I don't know a good segue into this story, but yeah. uh, it involves Nerf guns. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, I remember that, I remember that first that first week or two as a bishop, the, the men and the young men that would come in to talk about their early exposure to pornography and their struggles with associated sins and, and, and all the shame and all that around that. 
and just going, okay, I just, we just got to change our whole, this is not what I want. I want to help, but I don't, I want to break this pattern. And so how can we do that? And I can't, I'm just one guy. I can't do it. But the pattern of shame that we all have that's associated with all this, that, which, which is not serving anybody, how do we break that? And I wasn't quite sure, but I knew that we had to do something differently. So the more men that we can involve helping more boys, I thought that would be good. And all the boys were struggling with it or, or we're going to, they were all facing it, had faced it, or facing it, whatever, whatever. So remember the prayer rock thing that we all had yeah. a prayer rock, put the rock on your pillow at night, put it on you. So when you kick it in the morning, it reminds you to kneel down. Remember that prayer rock thing? Yeah. Uh-huh. We did something with that, but we gave everyone a, um, a coin. And this probably came from my military background, the Rangers, special forces. We always had coins, you know, military units have a special coin. So we had an armor of God coin and we didn't give it to the youth. We gave it to the men to give to a youth in the context of being a mentor and looking out for that young man and helping him and having a discussion with him about what the armor of God meant and then asking him how he had armored up the week before. So by, by giving the coin to the men, in other words, it'd be cool as a bishop if I gave everybody a coin, but it'd be even cooler if every man gave every boy a coin. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Father to son, that kind of thing. And so we, ta- we had a meeting with the men to talk about this and to talk about how we wanted to deal with the reality of this thing that was a part of our lives. From our early exposure to our current struggles, to having conquered it, to our, our dad being excommunicated because, you know, all the different contexts of that. How do we want to deal with it as a, as a quorum in the body of men? We had a discussion about that. And it was a very unique and powerful discussion. And it wasn't about whether we had it or not. It was about how do we continue to grow and move forward in the gospel? Because if, if, if shame is stopping us from feeling accepted, that's not going to help us on our journey. So, so it was really a discussion about how do we remove the shame and shine the light where, where Christ can be and is. And then we took that to the boys. And then... I really wanted these guys to have the idea that they were important to keeping our boys safe. That they were valuable. So I had this idea of the fiery darts and it, it led to some unique outcomes that I didn't expect or plan for. So we had all the priesthood there in the gym and we had the boys circle up. And I said, and I was just telling all the men, these boys are Satan's after these boys, the fiery darts are. And so now I got a couple of elders quorum guys with some Nerf guns popping these kids with darts. And I said, these boys are getting hit. What can we do? And what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of illustrate that for a minute. Then I wanted to have a few of the men stand up. I wanted to have the young men's leaders surround the boys. I wanted to have home teachers surround the boys. That's what I wanted to happen. That was my vision. Because I do, I come from experiential education. So I thought this is a good metaphor. I can work with yeah. this. This is going to have some legs. But we had a couple non-member guests there that day. This And this was not missionary mindedness. This was probably weird to them. I didn't know what it was, but I'd already planned it. And it was a big deal to kind of get everyone there that Sunday. So I just went with it. And these two men, these two older men jumped up and stood between the darts and the boys. These two non-members, none of the elders, none of the high priests, because that's what we had at the time, right? Uh-huh. These two guys stopped shooting these boys. And then they were joined. And then pretty soon there was a double circle of men around these boys. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Both of those men would end up taking discussions and getting baptized. That's not the point of the story, but that was just an. It was transformational, though. I mean, that was a so, transfer. Yeah. It was a trans. But it was a transformational moment for uh, some of our men too, because I really yeah. wanted. To, you know, we hear, yeah, I'm. I need to help protect our young men. What does that look like? I'm a home teacher. The most, right half of our boys didn't have dads in the home anyway, right? So 
what does that look like? What does it feel like? And, and how real is that? And so we, I was just trying to make it more real. That was the point of the exercise. But what I found was the story of what we did was bigger than what we did hmm. because it was different because it created discussion and discovery and invited the spirit and invited some thoughtfulness and some consideration. And, um, that was the power of it. It was, the yeah. story was bigger than the activity. Yeah. That's an interesting concept, you know, around this principle of uh, giving people a story to tell that often that's, it's the power of the story that in their memory, in hindsight, it seems like a, a larger experience than really it was. Right. And I think if sometimes in, in the next life, I sort of fantasize about going back to the Gettysburg address or, you know, the George, seeing George Washington in action. And, and it's probably going to be like, this seems like just another Wednesday because in those moments, like in the exact moment, it's probably smaller than it really grows to be right? yeah. in a good way. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I yeah. think that's true of so many things, but because we, we glamorize things, we, you know, we exaggerate might be a, have a negative connotation. I don't mean, I don't, I don't mean it to it. Yeah. We, we, we can really call attention to the highlights. You know, as we remember the story, we, we really highlight the virtues and, and highlighting the virtue. Well, it's Joseph Smith. There's six different versions of the first vision and he, he didn't fudge any of them. He was just telling them to different groups in different contexts. And, right. and as I, as I consider this, as I look back on these stories, cause I haven't told that story in years now. Um, no one asked me, Hey, tell me about the fiery dart when in preparing to interview with you, I, I wrote down some things that we might talk about. Yeah. Other than that, when have I shared that story? Yeah. Never. Yeah. And that's really the, the power of all this is it, you don't have to make it huge or this dramatic, you know, like you talk about, you go walk into these positions thinking I'm going to change the world single-handedly through this position. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when in reality, the Lord does the work on, on the, the other side of making these more impactful than maybe they look to us on that exact moment, but we just continue to stimulate these stories. I think about a good brother that came in to see me. And I, I got to tell you, I, I loved this man from the moment I laid eyes on him. I loved him. And he came in and, and he knew that I loved him. And I told him, I said, I got a, I got a man crush on you. And um, I'm going to try really hard not to say his name. And he loved me back. And I didn't know his history. I didn't know anything about this guy. But he'd, been, he'd recently married his first marriage in his 30s and uh, her second marriage. And we just loved him. And uh, he came in and he'd had a, a history with pornography and masturbation and had had a setback, you know. And he said, you know, I've been talking to bishops my whole life. And he said, it's, it's part of why for a decade, I didn't even do anything with the church. He said, I just got so tired of it. And he said, now here I am with my new bishop. And I know you love me and to have to come in here and talk about this. And, and my heart just ached, ached. I thought about, he said, I would rather be dead than have to talk to one more bishop about one more episode of this. And I didn't know what to do, Kurt, because I was so... You know, I wanted to do something. I felt compelled to do something, but I didn't know, you know, there was no magic bullet here. Read this. The impression I had was to engage more priesthood keys. And so I called on our own president and I said, here's the scenario. And I asked his brother, would it be okay? And he goes, at this point, Bishop, I, I would do anything. He said, because I can't do this anymore. I'd rather not live than do this again. It's just that horrifying to me. So, you know, so with his permission, the elders called my president and I had a talk and this was the revelation that we had to do a 30 day fast. 
and involve the quorum. And so each member of the elders quorum or the elders quorum was asked if they would fast, if they would fast diligently one day during the course of a 30-day window for a brother in their quorum who was trying to overcome hard things. And everyone kind of knew what that was, if you will, without speaking to it. And this quorum signed up quick. We created another phone number so that each day they could text this brother and say, I'm fasting for you. I hope things are going well. Elders Quorum President set this up. So there was this beautiful anonymity. And every day this brother got a text from a brother in the quorum saying, hey, I'm praying for you, I'm fasting for you. I don't know if we could even have a discussion about how unifying this was for this quorum. At the end of 30 days, this brother said, Bishop, I would like everyone who's comfortable, who's willing, who fasted for me, I'd like them to come. I want to tell them what I've experienced this month. I don't care. I'm not ashamed anymore. And if it's okay, my wife wants to be there too. And now most of these 30 men are now in the primary room on a weeknight in an empty church building. And he described to these men in this beautiful, vulnerable you know, I, th I think the closest you might get to this is in some of our addiction recovery classes when they, there's that open, beautiful, it was there, it was so rich. And everyone was just, it was this moment, this outpouring of just love and the spirit. And he bore his testimony and his wife bore her testimony. And, and there was shame could not be found within a five mile radius of this building. There was just love and the savior and the atonement and grace and grace and grace upon grace and hugs and love and the quorum, right? We can't even begin to talk about what this might do for a quorum of men who were united in such a sacred purpose to help a brother. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. I look at that and I go, there's a lot of priesthood keys in a ward, maybe not a lot, but for whatever there are, I've got to think as a bishop about how can I unite them more frequently? Yeah. Because there's power in these keys. But if I never put them in the car, I don't, you know, yeah. I just, I need to think about that more. I hadn't before then thought about it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uniting the keys is sometimes they, they're sort of in their own, uh, you know, their own corners of the ward doing their, their thing, but to, to unite them in, in really intentional ways can, can be impactful, obviously. And I'm talking way above my pay grade, but there, there it is. That, that was my final. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, like I said, I got one more question for you, but uh, if so, anybody wants to reach out to you or, you know, learn more about what you do with speaking and, and whatnot, does it, do you have a website or place that you'd send them? Yeah. Just my first name, Kirk Weisler, just Kirk Weisler. No, Kirkweisler.com. I'm sorry. Okay. So that's it. Yep. Yeah. And we'll link to it right in the show notes for sure. So last question I have for you, Kirk, is uh, as you reflect on your time as Bishop, those five years, being a leader, serving as a leader, doing your best as a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Everything about being a leader in the context of discipleship or being a bishop is absolutely not having a clue, right? So here you are thinking, I think, this is what I think, this is what I think. And even ward council is about to start. And you've kind of got, here's what I think I'm going to, right? And then ward council is come and gone. And you look down, you're like, I didn't speak to any of that. Not only that, I didn't even think about it. I had a, a very real stupor of thought. That's how off I was. That's how much I need. That's how broken I am. So I think being a leader is living this place of, oh my gosh, I can't. This is so much bigger than me. This ward is bigger than me. What they need is bigger than me. Only Christ knows what they need. 
And only in my lamest, best attempts at connecting with him and letting him direct my thoughts, my actions, and my deeds, is this going to be anywhere close to what it means to be? Because it's not about me. And just trying to stand in my own way. And thankfully, that's why you have counselors, right? Counselors, because you talk about this. You Like, I know me. Here's my weaknesses, and I got plenty. Let me just share them with you. So when you see my ego and my my namanism and my narcissism, whatever it is, you see it start to take, hey, this is where you and I low on each other and say, hey, Bishop, got a second? And if we'll really do that, then we can make a way and a path for the spirit to be the leader, and then we'll do our best to follow. And remember to get additional leadership content through the Core Leader Library. Click the donate button at leadingsaints.org or text the word lead to 474747. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.